Please take your uh, Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. We're in the midst of a sermon series that I've entitled simply The Life-Giving Power of God's Word. And this morning, I'd like to share a message that I'm entitling, How to Be Transformed by the Bible. And our focal passage will be James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And so let's go ahead and read the passage in its entirety, and then we'll begin breaking that down. So how to be transformed by the Bible, and this passage answers that question, beginning at verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their stress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, due to Lord's Supper this morning, uh, I'm just going to begin uh, the message, and then we'll conclude it next Sunday. And we're really not going to get any further today than the very first point in your sermon notes. So I hope you picked up a, a copy of the sermon notes, which is also your homework assignment as I trust you'll be putting this truth uh, into practice. And so let's look at that first point. Again, how to be transformed by the Bible. And this is where it all begins. And what a great place to start in light of our message last Sunday. It just connects the two. I must prepare my heart to receive God's Word. That's the first step. There's something I have to do as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as I come to the reading of God's Word or the study of God's Word or a lesson or a message, I must prepare my heart to receive God's Word. Look at verses 19 through 21 again. That's where we will focus today, where it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be, notice, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, jump down to verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, 
which is able to save your souls. Notice that phrase, receive the word implanted. You may want to circle that phrase. It is a key in this passage. As in the parable of the sower, which we examined last Sunday, here again in James 1, God's word is presented as seed that is planted in our hearts. Now, let me raise a very important question. How can you have seeds that are exactly the same, planted in two different fields, and you come up with two totally different results? In one field, great harvest of fruit. In the second field, little, if any, fruit at all. And I think you know the answer. The answer is because one soil, one of the fields, was prepared for planting and the other was not. In other words, there's no problem, as we saw last Sunday, with the seed. The problem is with the preparation of the soil. Let me ask you another question. How is it that two people can be in the same worship service? They can be in the same Bible study together. They can hear the identical same message or lesson. Yet one of those individuals be transformed and experience significant growth while the other person is not impacted at all. And he'll leave or she'll leave saying, you know, I didn't get anything out of that message or that lesson today. And the simple answer is, one heart was prepared to receive God's Word, and the other was not. Now, the application to our lives is extremely significant. Before the seed of God's Word can take root in your heart, before it will ever sprout and grow and produce the fruit that God intends, and two weeks ago, We saw the fruit that God intends for His Word to produce in our lives. Do you remember those four things? First, what? Purity of soul, holiness, conformity to Christ in the inner man, in our attitudes and values and perspectives that impacts our character and conduct. We're to be perfected in love, a pure love for the Lord Jesus Christ, where He is our first love, greatest passion. And then a love for one another. And then that word what? Also perpetuates eternal life. God's kind of life in and through us. And then the word of God is to produce spiritual growth. But before that will ever happen, before it can happen, you must prepare your heart to receive God's word. Now here in these verses, verses 19 through 21, James tells us five things we must do, five things that are our responsibility as believers. Remember we uh, talked about last week, uh, spiritual growth takes what? Time and trouble. And to have a fruitful garden takes what? Time and trouble. It takes effort. It just doesn't spontaneously happen. 
And it's the same thing with Christian growth and knowing the Word of God impacting your life. We have to cooperate with God in the process. As we've seen, His Word has the power in and of itself to accomplish God's will, to accomplish God's purposes in your life. But He wants us to cooperate by preparing our hearts to receive the seed of God's Word. So look at these five things we must do. And the first one is what? I have to open my ears. Open my ears. He says everyone must be what? Quick to hear. Everyone must be quick to hear. Now keep your finger in James, but uh, look over at Proverbs chapter 2. A great cross-reference. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. And this is the context of, of receiving God's Word, of digging into God's Word to discover the treasure that's there and, and the wealth of God's knowledge and grace and power. And right in the middle of this, in verse 2, we read, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Notice, whose responsibility is it? It's yours. You are to make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart. That's a command to you. Incline your heart to understanding. Now, the word attentive here in Proverbs 2.2 in the Greek text, that's the word kwasab. And it, it literally refers to an animal who pricks up its ears to become very alert. You've all seen that, a dog or a, or a cat or some animal. When they just, their ears certainly just prick up and perk up and they're just being alert to their surroundings or any danger that might be there. The word incline is natah in the Hebrew text and it literally means to turn away from all distractions so that you can be wholly devoted and of course in this context to what? Receiving and learning God's word. In other words, you are responsible as you come to God's Word. It doesn't make any difference if it's to read God's Word, to be a part of a Bible study, to hear a sermon. God says your first responsibility is to zone out all other distractions so that you can be attentive and alert to God's instructions. Look at the second thing that we must do. Not only open, I not only must open my ears, but I need to what? Shut my mouth. <laughs> Shut my mouth. Notice it says be slow to speak. Slow to speak. The fact is you cannot listen carefully while you are talking. Now listen very carefully. I believe this also includes talking to yourself in your mind. In other words, as we come to God's Word, out of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, out of our respect and reverence to God, again, we're to zone these distractions out so that we can focus on what God is saying, so that we can hear, so that we can learn, so that we can respond. Turn to Job chapter 40. Let me show you a fascinating verse here. If you're familiar with the book of Job, as he's going through his tremendous adversity, uh, struggling with disappointment with God, struggling with anger with God, struggling with bitterness with God. You know, if, if we're really, really honest, if you ever read the book, the boy never shuts up long enough to give God an opportunity to speak to him. And folks, I have the same problem. I have the same problem. 
There are, there are times when I just don't understand God's ways. I don't understand what's God doing, and I just begin to rail against God. And uh, whether it's in my thoughts or whether it's verbally uh, to God or to, or to others, and, and there's a point where we have to realize I have to get quiet. I, I need to get quiet before God. And it's fascinating. It's when Job finally, excuse the expression, shut up that God was able to speak. And notice what Job says in verse 4. Towards the end of the book, as God begins to speak to him, he says, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you, to thee, O God? I lay my hand on my mouth. I like that. Job is saying what? It's time for me to shut up right now. I've been doing enough talking, enough questioning. I need to realize I'm not God. He's God. I'm mere man. And so I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth, and I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to God speak. By the way, if you've never noticed this, and I trust you have, uh, God did give you two ears and only one mouth. And that ought to be a little hint to us all that God intends for us to what? To listen uh, more than uh, we we speak. Uh, Look at the third thing. Look at the third thing. I need to calm my spirit. I need to calm my spirit when I come to God's Word. Notice James says, you're to be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, the word translated angry here, there in our you need to understand in the Greek text, uh, there are different words that refer to anger and sort of different types and degrees of anger. And this particular word is the word orge in the Greek, and it refers to a deep-seated bitterness or resentment either toward others. Or life's adversities. In other words, the thought is I become hurt. I become hurt by someone. I become hurt, wounded by life's adversities, perplexities, and pains. And as a result, I develop a deep seated bitterness, a deep seated resentment. And bottom line, what we need to understand is that bitterness. And resentment in your heart is going to render the Word of God ineffective. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Good cross-reference. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. See, bitterness and resentment presents an emotional barrier that not only prevents God from God's Word from taking root in your heart, but it what? It, it infects you. And not only infects you, it hurts others. I've, I've often said about the damage it does to the individual believer. You know, being bitter is is like uh, drinking poison thinking it's going to hurt the other person. 
No, bitterness is only going to destroy you. Resentment's only going to destroy you and your relationship with God. And again, that's, it doesn't make any difference whether it's bitterness and resentment towards others or towards life circumstances. It can become a barrier to prevent God's Word from penetrating your heart, taking root in the soil of your heart to produce God's purpose. Now, what do you do with that bitterness and resentment? And that takes us right to the next point. James says, we have, I have to weed my heart. I need to open my ears, shut my mouth, calm my spirit, and weed my heart. And by the way, as we're walking through this, this would be a great list for you to cut this out, put it in a leaf of your Bible. I mean, th- this, these are habits that need to become second nature to us, that we walk through this prior to coming to God's Word, to make sure that we're ready to receive God's Word. But notice, I have to weed my heart. He says in verse 21, therefore, putting aside what? All filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Before the garden of your heart is ready to receive God's Word, you've got to do some weeding. And that's true of all of us. You remember in the parable of the sower that we looked at last Sunday, Jesus said, some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up with it and choked out the good plants. So the question is simply this. What are the weeds that need to be uprooted and eliminated in your life. It is imperative to weed to eliminate from your heart anything between you and God. Anything between you and another person that's not right. As far as it is possible with you to be at peace with all men. Great cross-reference. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, where he's saying the identical same thing about the need to weed the heart prior to receiving God's Word. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, and you remember we we looked at this passage two weeks ago. Uh, The latter part of chapter 1 is talking about the eternal, abiding, life-giving power of God's Word. So, And then he begins to make application. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Just a different way of saying you need to weed your heart If you allow these things to remain in your heart, they are going to quench your thirst for the Word of God. They're going to impact your hunger for God's Word. And look at the list that he mentions there. Just walk through that very very quickly. Malice. Malice in the Greek text is just an all-inclusive term that really refers to any sin. So again, he's just basically saying, hey, if there's anything in your life between you and God, you need to weed that. You need to deal with that. Guile has the idea of dishonesty, of falsehood, of lying. So he said you need to weed yourself, eliminate any area 
where you're practicing guile, where you're being dishonest, where there's falsehood, where there's lying. The word hypocrisy, literally in the Greek text, that means wearing a mask. It's talking about spiritual, spiritual insincerity, trying to pretend that you're something that you're not before other people, which tells us what? If you're going to know the impact of God's Word, it's never going to happen until you first get brutally honest about yourself, until you get totally transparent about yourself, about your character flaws, about your faults, about where you do need weeding. You don't cover those things up. You get them out in the open. And the word envy, that means to what? Resent the prosperity of others. It means to desire to have what others have. And he's saying, if you don't watch out, that envy is going to sap your hunger for the Word of God. God said, I don't want you desirous of material things. I want you to turn your eyes from that which you can see, which you can feel and touch. And I want you to look on those things which are eternal. I want you to look on the glorious face of Jesus Christ. As we're about to do in the Lord's Supper, as we remember who He is, what He did, as that ignites our passion for Him, to follow Him. And then notice slander. And what's slander? It's gossip. It's backbiting. It's tearing down people instead of building up people. It's saying harmful words instead of speaking helpful words. And so again, Peter's saying the same thing James is saying. He's saying if you're, if you're going to know God's word to penetrate your heart, to take root, to sprout, and to produce the fruit God desires, you've got to do some weeding. You've got to get serious about those things in your life that are not pleasing to God. I was reading in my devotions this, is, this morning from Psalm 5. God does not take pleasure in wickedness. And he wants all wickedness to be eliminated from our hearts. Look at the last thing, very, very important thing before we move into the Lord's Supper. I have to surrender my will. I have to surrender my will. I have to surrender my will to God, to Jesus Christ, my Lord. I need to recognize that to respect him I'm to respect his word by surrendering to it. Notice it says, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save or deliver your soul. Circle the two words, humility and receive. The words humility and receive. Humility carries the idea of coming to God's word with a submissive mind or attitude. That's exactly what he's talking about. That word, that word humility literally means lowliness of mind. It means recognizing who I am and who God is, and that since he is God, since he is my Lord and Master, I come to his word with a submissive mind, with a submissive attitude. And the word receive is dekamai in the Greek text. And it literally, literally means to receive God's word already committed to apply it to your life and obey it. In other words, what he's saying is you come to the reading of God's word. You come to a message, to a lesson, already ready to obey it, to apply it, 
The issue is not to argue it. The issue is to apply it. It's not to debate it. The issue is not information, but transformation. And so I'm, I'm coming to the Word of God with, with, with that attitude that I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to put this into practice. I love Acts 17, 11. You don't have to turn to that. Uh, but Paul is talking about the noble believers in Berea. And he says, they received the Word with eagerness. Again, we're to come to God's Word eager. I mean, did you come this morning to the service eager? Excited, enthusiastic, not because of Andy Merritt, not because of Andy Johnston, but because you knew that the Word of God would be taught, the Word of God would be preached. There'd be an opportunity for you to sing praises to the author of that Word, to worship Him, to to love Him. And so I trust you did come eager, with a submissive attitude, ready and willing to obey. So, folks, those are the things that God requires of us before we ever read, before we ever hear the message. He wants us to prepare our hearts by opening our ears, shutting our mouth, in other words, removing all distractions, wholly devoted, calming our spirit, where we're ready to hear, where we're ready to listen, weeding our heart surrendering our will. Amen? And then next week, we'll continue, we'll finish this message as uh, we look at how to be transformed by the Bible. Now, let me just briefly point out as we come to the Lord's Supper, very easy to apply what we just heard because we're to prepare our hearts right now to receive the Lord's Supper. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we realize that what? Jesus is the host of this supper. He's here. He's present, our Savior and our Lord. And what's the key word in celebrating the Lord's Supper? The word what? Remember. Remember. In other words, he's saying, I want you to open up your ears. I want you to shut your mouth. I want you to focus now on Jesus, remove, zone out all other distractions, It's all about Him right now. I want you to calm your spirit. As you come to this table, you recognize no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how painful, no matter how perplexing. I mean, you know, we often hit those circumstances where there just seems to be no rhyme or reason. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But I calm my spirit by realizing what? Hey, it's the nail-pierced hands that shape my circumstances, that mold my life. The one who loved me enough to go to the cross 
to die for the penalty of my sin and to rise again to give me forgiveness as a gift and the wonderful privilege of following him He's in control. The way I like to put it is, the daddy, my daddy, my daddy, my daddy, the one who loves me most, despite the fact that he knows me best. (laughs) Think about that just for a moment. My daddy, my daddy, my, who am I referring to, of course, my heavenly daddy, the one who loves me most, despite the fact that he knows me best, hey, my daddy's sitting on the throne. My daddy's in control. And he's he's told me, I may not understand, but there's nothing that can touch my life that he can't cause to work for my good in his greater glory. So I just take a deep breath, calm my spirit, And I have that wonderful privilege of what? Casting all my cares on him, knowing what? That he cares for me. And if I ever doubt his love, I just need to think of the cross. Think of the cross. And then I need to what? I need to weed my heart. We're told this in 1 Corinthians 11, aren't we? We're told as we come to the Lord's table, we're to what? 1 Corinthians 11 says that we're to examine ourselves. And it says we're to examine ourselves so we can get our sin out in the open, confessed before God, forsaken before God, so that God does not have to discipline us or chasten us. And so right now we need to ask. In preparing hearts, God, is there anything, is there anything right now between me and you? Anything I need to confess, anything I need to forsake. God, is there anything between me and another person? And you're asking me to reach out to them. And again, I've already stated this. When there's interpersonal conflict, there's two people involved. And that's why the Bible says, as far as it is possible, what? With you. You just want to make sure you have a clear conscience and you've done everything that you can to build the bridge. Not avoid the person, not run the other way, but build a bridge. Now, they may reject it, but you want to be a bridge builder. And then you come what? Surrendering your will. I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, what? By the mercies of God. As you remember, as you reflect on the mercies of God, who Jesus is, what he did for you, you're to what? You're to present your bodies. All that you are is a, what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. And not be, what? Conformed, squeezed into the mold of this world into this world's mold, its way of thinking and values and attitudes and character and content, but you're to be transformed through the renewal of your mind to prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So we're told on the night in which Jesus was betrayed that he had took the bread and 
after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. And we're told by the apostle Peter that he bore our sins on the tree, on Calvary's cross, that we might not have to bear them, that we may not have to bear that judgment. He took the judgment for us. And then after the supper, we're told he took the the cup, which represents his precious blood that was shed for us, that redeemed us, that purchased us. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. Pray with me. Father, what a wonderful time as we come to the Lord's table to remember, to reflect. Not just to read about, not just to sing about your unending love and amazing grace, but to experience it right now, to enjoy it. to celebrate it, to partake in it. And so we want first to say thank you, thank you, thank you for leaving the glories of heaven, Jesus, for coming to the ghettos of this sin-cursed world and not just becoming a man, but becoming a criminal. As you say in Psalm 22, not even a man, a worm that was despised, that was rejected. That you came to incur your Father's wrath, your Father's fury. As there on the cross, you bore our sins and you were our substitute and you took the judgment the chastisement that should have been ours. Thank you. Thank you that the grave could not hold you, that you rose again. And because of your death for our sins, you offer the gift of forgiveness. And thank you that for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no longer any condemnation. that we've been declared not guilty, justified. Thank you that our hearts have become your home and you live with us. And so we want to surrender to you. We want our hearts to be a place where you can dwell comfortably, where you can take pleasure with us. A heart that will be honest and open and transparent about failure, about sin. A heart that would honor you, that would be ready to receive your word. And to let it take root, to sprout, to grow, to blossom. That Christ would be formed in us to be displayed through us. So thank you for your unending love. Thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.